0: A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekeywysaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Fold is brought to you by Omedia, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No my hockey, my my guest today is Kate Lindsay, live from New York. So you might hear uh, the odd siren in the background. So this this is a, a, a fold I wanted to do for a long time. Um, certainly as long as I've been reading Embedded, which is the Substack that that Kate runs, which is about internet culture and and kind of particularly the kind of just the changing way that people use and relate to social media and and everything that that happens there. And she's just, to to me, she's the best person on earth at chronicling that world and in a way that feels very much in it rather than looking at it, um, if you'll allow for the distinction. Uh, Embedded comes out a couple of times a week. Like, if you're listening to this, run, don't walk to subscribe to it. It's just a... A very smart, nuanced, uh, very funny uh, perspective on on uh, on that whole world. And so we basically go through uh, you know, the the sort of thesis that is at the heart of Embedded. Uh, we do a bit of a stock take of the various platforms and how people are using them and the way that TikTok has got this kind of just ferocious gravity that is sort of impacting that that whole world uh and then we talk about the millennial pause which is sort of you know kate's almost like a live experiment uh, unwittingly where she kind of became the internet's main character for a minute there uh, documenting this phenomenon that she'd sort of heard someone talking about and then really became the sort of face of it kind of against her will. and she's got really interesting things to to say on that but um but yeah, Kate Lindsay is, uh, you know, I, I genuinely think the most interesting and fun writer on internet culture going and it's just a total thrill to me to have her on this podcast. So yeah, please enjoy Embedded's Kate Lindsay on The Fold. Kia Kate, welcome to The Fold.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Uh, so before we were coming on, I've been just sort of walking around the office just telling people about the, that this is going to happen and how excited I am. And uh, Samuel, my our producer, had done some research, like a pretty... <laughs> Cursory level. And he said, She's like a business influencer, right? Which really cracked me up.
1: <laughs> just, that would be so, oh my gosh. <laughs> if that's how I'm perceived, I need to change some things about how I'm showing yeah, up online. I
0: think so. Um that's just just a, a quite a revelation for you. But absent that, uh, let's assume that that's incorrect. How how would you describe your kind of this per- 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 career you built for yourself?
1: I guess um just internet culture writer but I honestly have been like dropping the internet a bit more recently not because it's not true but because I think increasingly there's like less of a reason to distinguish the internet everything in culture is kind of happening on the internet and I think um I think there's maybe I found that can be like a misconception when you say you write about internet culture just that the internet that you're writing about like I don't know, like memes or like some TikToker that no one's heard of. And that's true in some cases. But um, I think I I try to, I think the story about the internet are most interesting when you're kind of looking at, um, looking at them in, in, in how the internet affects everyone or how it affects humans. Like I always describe it, anyone who's like listening to me talk about this, will have heard this before, but I'll, I always describe it as rather than writing about what's on the phone, I like writing about the person who's holding the phone and like what it is, they're going through, or thinking about, or how their experience is changing. Um, so that's a long-winded answer to say, "I'm just a writer." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because I think that that distinction you make is is really palpable in the work. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a you write about culture slash internet culture in a way which doesn't hold it at arm's length. It's not very mm-hmm. took to Twitter. It's it's very kind of like. <laughs> uh, it it feels like you're you're part of it, and the whole group of people and the platforms that you write about are there, and it's I don't know it's it's just quite a different feel to the way even now you know however many years we are into like a mass kind of cultural internet the, the way that you approach it is is different. Was that when you when you came to set up embedded was that kind of part of the the thinking to really kind of make that the vision.
1: Yeah, I think there were a few things going into it because like Embedded started as sort of a more traditional website. It was kind of the editorial arm of a larger sort of tech company project. And um, we ended up, uh, I'm trying to find a diplomatic way for saying that they just laid us off, Um, but that's what happened, uh, that basically they lost a round of funding. And so um, sort of the the sort of website project that we had created um, was no more, but my editor and I, Nick Catucci, were like, well, we we feel like we were had liked what we were starting. And it looked very different at the time. Um, but we were like, let's, if we could really just make this exactly what we wanted to be as a newsletter, like what would what would that be? And I know at the time, like, embedded tagline is still like what's good on the internet. And I don't, I never want that to mean like um super positive, cheerful, like uh, ignorant stuff, but I felt that a lot of writing, this was still early pandemic, and there was being, there was a lot more coverage of internet and creators but a lot of it was pretty negative in the sense of just like oh look what they're doing now um and so we wanted to kind of be in response to that but I think the more human element kind of came like I just have um all like I it's funny because I don't even think this one specific friend knows that she's kind of the inspiration for this but she's someone who like whenever we would bring up what I was writing about she would be like um you know I have no idea who that person is or um like what you're talking about right now but like she's like a teacher she's not in this world but I'm like she's on Instagram like we interact online and so it's it's like okay why this is someone who uses social media in a normal way um but she has no idea what it is we're like the, the sort of typical internet culture coverage is about um like it feels really inaccessible to her and I was like that shouldn't be the case if she's on the internet which just means like we're not I don't think we're writing about we're clearly writing about such a specific niche part of the internet um that isn't actually representative of, like a regular user's experience and so that kind of was the thing it's just like who is who are the people who like don't know i mean this is a dated example at this point but like who they don't know who charlie d'amelio is or they don't know who the latest like big tiktok person is um but that doesn't mean they like live in a hole i mean they're still very online but just not in that that specific way and so um and that's kind of my thinking is like, well, what what is their internet experience like? And that, uh, it often ends up being way more universal because it's something that people can relate to versus I think a lot of the early coverage was just like, look at what this influencer is doing. Aren't they bad and or crazy or um, and, and all the comments would be like, how are people getting paid? Like it, it was just very different than um, than what I always felt as someone who really grew up on the internet. It just didn't represent what the internet actually kind of can look and feel like and why it's important to people.
0: Yeah, it, it feels like like with sort of pre-existing pop cultural forms, like pre-internet forms, whether it's you know pop music, film, TV, whatever, there was this sort of knowable canon to them, and and there were mm-hmm. issues with that. But it was like, and there was an a, an approach, and there were kind of a school of cultural criticism that approached it. And then the internet happened, and because it is just everything all at once it's 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 enormous and inherently unknowable it feels like the response of a lot of uh publications that would normally pass something like this was just to kind of you know like what you described just kind of fling up their hands in, in horror and rather than actually attempt to engage with it on its own own terms the way they were naturally doing um with these other forms and that's why it's kind of interesting to me that you know like to to me you're you know not to kind of blow smoke but this is like the best version of this writing that exists and it's weird to me that there isn't like a this is a substack and not like a you know a gold-plated new york times kind of piece like (laughs) what what i mean and, and not that no obviously that you know that's we're now touching on the creator economy and independence and all kinds of other stuff too but but, you know, why Why do you think it was something you had to go out and make yourself rather than mm-hmm. it's something that these publications, which generally pride themselves on being on top of things, why have they struggled to engage with it the way you are?
1: Um, that's a, that's very nice, and I'm just going to skate past the compliments. <laughs> and, uh, as uh, What as writers do. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of my... One of the reasons why I like having Embedded, even though I like freelance and write for other places, um, is that I found I can, I. you know, when people talk about how they miss what happened to blogs, um, it, it comes a little bit into that conversation where it's like sometimes I've noticed something or wanna write about something that doesn't have like a huge takeaway. It may not even be a trend. It may be like one thing I saw, or like there isn't something, it doesn't actually say anything about like humanity or society. It's just like something I saw online. Um, And that's why embedded is good because that is kind of the only place for something like that, because a a place that's more, you know, uh, established or that has, I guess, has a bit more to lose by taking chances is my sort of answer to that question about why they're not doing it as much. Um, uh, I, I think they, they want to really make sure there's, meet behind something or they you know a lot of these places have very specific audiences um who won't click on something i think right, to, to distinctly sort of answer the question i think the why embedded is good and why why it is like the place for this kind of stuff is um newsletters in general are things that people have to they've already opted in to it um and and so it it's rather than making content for a really broad audience and like hoping it it lands each time I write something. It's like I'm writing for people who over like two years now have kind of um, already have already let me know that this is what they're interested in. Um, and so the biggest thing I have to come up against is not getting their attention, but instead like, oh, I hope this doesn't disappoint them. Whereas it's a little bit of the opposite for, you know, a New York Times um, or The Atlantic or things like that, where that is going out to a really broad audience of people who haven't necessarily opted in um, and you're trying to convince them to come on board. And so I think it can be harder to just kind of, um, especially as a freelancer, at least convince anyone that like, that it's worth writing about. Like the last thing I wrote was like, Gen Z seems to really like pickles. <laughs> that was the last thing I wrote. That was, that that was a great <laughs> pace. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And but it's like, that's one of those things where it's like, okay, I could try to get that out, but I need to come with, like a whole bunch of sources and people to interview and make it really like intense. Whereas like, I don't actually have that much to say about it beyond what I wrote for Embedded. And so it's nice that, um, it's nice to have a space where it's like, just informal, like as if you were, I mean, I'd like to think like as if you're talking, just like having a conversation with someone and they've noticed something. <laughs>
0: I mean, that, that's that's uh, interesting, right? Like, the, the, it touches on some of the conventions of journalism where you mm-hmm. sort of feel like you have to go and talk to some academic who really actually <laughs> is super engaged with the thing, certainly not as much as you are. But, um, but that's actually what I like about it, the fact that the audience has, has opted into mm-hmm. being really geeking, geeked out over the stuff as you are. Uh, I mean, but... You, you just men- mentioned TikTok, which and the rise of embedded has has kind of paralleled its mm-hmm. kind of taking over the kind of primary culture mechanism. But because it is just so vast and so kind of you know the genius of it is it, it no one no one else's TikTok is anything like any, any anyone else's. Did, how does that kind of present challenges to someone who's trying to write about the medium mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis when it's inherently just this? giant, unknowable, you know, mess of a thing.
1: I think TikTok is most useful because I also do try to, I don't know, less so now, because, like, you know, as TikTok's grown, like, it feels like every other platform has just kind of collapsed in on itself because I sometimes feel like I don't want to keep, I want, the internet is more than TikTok and I want to write about more than TikTok, but um, what TikTok is good for from, like, an internet culture reporting standpoint is that um, TikTok, TikTok will surface stories about things happening like anywhere um where like in terms of any platform I mean um like Twitter drama a, a tick like will come to TikTok or someone will be like look what's happening on Twitter or you know everyone's talking about this thing on Instagram that'll be something that ends up on TikTok and so I think TikTok is good as a tool if you're not like always writing about something that's really TikTok specific, but rather using it to kind of notice other types of trends that surface. Like, I mean, like (laughs) I wish I had a more academic thing on the pickle thing, but that's just (laughs) what I most recently wrote. So I keep thinking about it, but you know, just like following it's like, okay. So this basically it all started with just seeing this one sweatshirt that just keeps selling out that really is just a sweatshirt of pickle jars. And it was just like following that other places. Um, and, uh, and, and rather than being like, oh, this is a TikTok specific thing. It's like, oh, this seems to be like mimicking, um, you know, a, a larger kind of internet phenomenon. Um, and I think also I just have, so I'm, I was talking about this with someone where it's like, I wish I could use social media in a relaxing way, the way that without always having like one part of my brain turned on to be like, am I looking at something that maybe could be content? Because that also means my like algorithms are really messed up. Like I pickles again, but like I am getting, because I looked at this TikTok shop to write this pickle piece, I am getting every single sponsored post they've ever done in my algorithm now. And it's so frustrating where it means like anytime I go down a rabbit hole to write a piece that's now part of my algorithm. Um
0: yeah, it's like you need a burner account and a and a regular right? account to, to conduct your research. Because yeah. it is amazing how quickly it breaks as soon as you show right. a particular level oh, of yeah. interest.
1: It's like that the joke that people do about those like house renovation shows where you know a kid'll be like oh I like horses and so like the renovators will just make their room like an insane horse room. It's like that's why I feel my algorithm. My algorithm's like you watched one pickle video. You <laughs> we're gonna mind. make all your <laughs> all your videos pickles. Um but um but yeah and so I am I do try to be aware and this is why what's difficult as a freelancer Whenever I'm out of ideas, it's because I have not like gone out into the real world to talk to people. Because like as much as I can say, like oh my TikTok feeds all over the place, I am getting like just a sliver of the content, and um, and and it's not representative of what everyone is getting. Um, and so it's really helpful. Like I'm in a group chat of some other uh, internet culture writers, but also just with my everyday friends. Um, it'll just you'll just it'll be nice to hear what other people are experiencing, and then and then go down go down that direction a bit. Um, because I think this happens on TikTok a lot where someone will think a trend that they're witnessing is like a huge trend, but then they'll click on like the sound that's associated with it and see it only has like maybe a thousand videos, which in TikTok numbers is not a lot at all. Um, and so it can really trick you into thinking that your experience is what everyone's experiencing. And so I would say the biggest, um, hurdle or thing I need to remind myself of is that that is not true. And, um, which is why I think I get really excited when I stumble upon something like very specific or like a niche, not even a niche drama, but just like a niche community. Um, Those are my favorite things to cover because I like when people are really like purely and authentically using the internet, not to get popular, but because it's bringing them enjoyment or it's connecting them with people that they wouldn't be connected with. Like, I think that's what made the internet so great in the first place. And it's still there. It just gets kind of... um, Buried by uh, whatever TikTok has turned social media into.
0: No, it's I I totally see that, and and that you know again like it does feel like there's been like this nostalgic yearning for glimpses of the kind of early internet. Sort of serendipity and mm-hmm. and optimism and you know Substack had an element of that at the start as well. I wonder if you'd like indulge me in because I, you know like I say, think you're so great at this. Like a little bit of a state of the social nation because so much of your writing mm-hmm. is is about the platforms um, and also because TikTok uh, has had this crazy um, thing where it's just kind of its power has been so great that its its gravity has. Mm-hmm. Impacted all of them in quite a profound way, um, and and kind of seemingly broken some of them. But like, I will, yeah, let's start with Facebook, the kind of granddaddy of them all in, in some respects, and one which mm-hmm. has a particularly kind of mouldy uh, sort of washed reputation. Do, do you is is that earned? Like, what is the what is going on with with Big Blue right now?
1: I don't see any reason why. Like, what we're posting on Twitter or. Um, even TikTok, like couldn't go on Facebook, but I think people are going to go to where other people are. Um, and that's in terms of their community for many people, that's not Facebook. Um, for, for many people that is, um, TikTok, but like I wrote recently about how I, uh, this is not a community I am a part of, but apparently LinkedIn is having like a bit of a resurgence because of sort of this Twitter exodus. And a lot of people who are big Twitter users are now moving over to LinkedIn, um, and so, like I said, it, it it's not that I think there's any one platform that's like doing something. I mean, TikTok is a kind of a whole separate beast because obviously its success is its algorithm and the culture it's created. Um, but I think like like threads would be fine if the threads could replace Twitter, if that's just where everyone decided we were going to go. Um, but there's not like a town hall we can all meet and decide in. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: there's like a, like a plebiscite. <laughs> right, you know. right. And so you just
1: have to kind of, Follow where the wind takes you. Um, and uh, and so you're kind of at the whim of something that <laughs> you can go back to Facebook. You'll just be probably pretty lonely. Um, and and it's sad because what I kind of miss and what everyone says they miss about the internet is because that, that didn't used to be how we use the internet at all. In fact, like I would want to go places where like no one in my real life could find me. and I would just like want to go into forums and like talk about Harry Potter and things like that. Um, but then, but now um, I do think like as much as we say, we want to go back to these smaller websites and smaller communities that that it, we, our brains have been so trained to chase sort of the social rewards of these much bigger platforms. And I do think we would find any platforms that don't have those things that are quieter, that have less people. Um, I think we would find them immediately less interesting um than than we think we would once we were actually back there because it would it wouldn't have any of that magic like uh addiction type stuff um that is what we now need to be excited about social media i'm trying to think of like this isn't quite the same the right a correct metaphor but i remember like there was this when i was you know growing up there was this playground that i loved and i thought was this like mythical magical perfect playground and then when I was uh, like a teenager adult I would I'd moved away and we went we, I was like oh I really when we came back to visit I was like I gotta go see the playground like I missed the play and I should and and so it's just a little bit like once you're out of it and once you've grown up and moved on when when you go back to that thing that you're like oh I loved this I'm gonna love it again um you have you can't ignore that you've grown up and moved on and um I do think if I were to like Drop myself back into like a Harry Potter forum. One, there'd be a lot of other things to talk about in <laughs> that community. But um, but I also think I'd be like, wait, this doesn't have like, is it? Does anyone see this? Do I get any validation from this? I I, I just will not have any of the same stuff that um, now platforms like Instagram and TikTok have made kind of part and parcel for being on social media.
0: The Fold is brought to you by Omedia, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to Omedia for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. In general, um, you know, speaking of Instagram, you know, how is that that big Adamuseri project to sort of turn it into mm-hmm. TikTok going, do you think?
1: I so there was, and I wrote about this for the Atlantic last year. I feel like last, was this last year time is Yeah, not. it was, last, it was year
0: last year time. when that was the big um, make Instagram yeah, Instagram again everyone, kind of moment. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And um it kind of feels like it's just stagnant. Like I know they've introduced some stuff like the weird kind of status update type thing that they've done if you go to your messages folder you can kind of like basically post a a 2023 equivalent of a status update i see some people using it but it hasn't really done anything um and i mean reels is still going strong but i would say i haven't seen any like movement in it at all i mean i i still every 30 days have to hit snooze all suggested posts um, because I don't want it to be serving me random content, but it only lets you do that um 30 days at a time. So I still do that. That's how I know a month has passed is I get that <laughs> notification again. Um and um, but also I, I I I a part of me is like cognizant that i probably because of things like that and others, I'm not a great reliable narrator on Instagram anymore because I found that it was one of the platforms that like caused the most uh that I had the unhealthiest relationship with specifically Instagram stories where I would have this compulsive, like need to sort of document my day as a way of like asserting my existence, but also sort of, um, feeling like nothing really like m- mattered unless anyone saw it. Um, and so, you know, I, I just, I, I, I didn't like the relationship that, um, Instagram stories in particular, like made me had with my, have my own life, which was like one of like constantly needing to be packaged for for public consumption. Um, and so it was also like, I, a year ago decided, like, I'm not using Instagram stories anymore and I'll use it when I need to do like a call for quotes or like want to share something funny, but it's really few and far between. And so I, and I also was like, I'm also not going to post anything personal really, um, other than like big life updates or career stuff on my like main feed, because similarly, I didn't like having the numeric value ascribed to just like my day-to-day activities. Um, So I also, I really step back and I use Instagram in a very specific way now, um, which means like to me, I'm like, I'm basically, I'm like trying to caveat whatever my take on Instagram is as a kind of stagnant, boring place could very well be because of what I've turned it into, which is like a place that I've kept it at arm's length. But I mean, sort of anecdotally, I don't hear anyone being super excited about it.
0: It's interesting, right? That It kind of hints at the impossibility of being like a true social media journalist because you're trying to be normal somewhere while also... Mm -hmm. uh, No, I
1: I struggled with that a lot because especially on both Twitter and Instagram were my biggest issues. Like Twitter, especially during more deeper pandemic, I was just a constant onslaught of news and scary headlines. And then Instagram, I had this sort of, weird performative relationship with that I felt was like, I really didn't like. Um, And I, for like about a, you know, I I was dealing with that for a few years and really trying to weigh, like, am I going to dive bomb my career if I step back from these things? But then it's like, am I going to dive bomb my own brain if I keep staying on them? Um, And I was like, well, what if I just try stepping back and seeing like and if suddenly like my ideas were embedded like all vanish then I'll know like okay that's not working but I also do think that's why TikTok has been helpful because if something's happening on Instagram that's like actually interesting people are talking about it on TikTok like kind of what I was saying earlier or um or same with Twitter like I wrote a piece this was a while ago um about how like high school people these accounts these Instagram accounts were popping up like dedicated to it's such a high school thing it would be like a, an instagram account for a specific high school dedicated to photos of people who have fallen asleep in class and like people would submit they would take the photo of a person asleep in class and submit it to this instagram and the instagram would post it um and and Dude. people would follow it and so like very classic um, like i like my high school would have gone crazy for it. i actually looked it up and i found a version of this that my high school had done so like but i only found out because people were talking about it on tiktok because someone was like oh my gosh like If I had this when I was in high school, like I would be so panicked or that I was being watched all the time, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so that's an Instagram story. Um, But one that honestly, I wouldn't have come across on Instagram because I'm not in high school. And so it's like a platform like TikTok is good at surfacing that kind of stuff, um, even for other platforms.
0: Yeah, that's that's a kind of a crucial distinction. And on some Mm -hmm. level, that's why they're trying to turn it, you know, Facebook and, and Instagram into that. But there is sort of some fundamental nature to the compact people made when they walked in the door you can't can't yeah. move it around too much, and that's obviously mm-hmm. what we're seeing with with Facebook and with with X uh, in particular now um, the the two platforms that are quite sort of in contrast to that in a way will seem to be. To me, I'm a person who, for the reasons that you described, basically mm-hmm. went cold turkey on all social media like 18 mm-hmm. months ago. And so, in some way, embedded is just the only way I feel connected to the <laughs> culture anymore. Um, so no pressure. But the mm-hmm. uh, but but Reddit and YouTube still feel like not entirely, but largely like they mm-hmm. they have kept the the pact they made with their original user yeah. groups. And there's something kind of comforting about that. What is your sense of how those um, platforms are tracking?
1: Yeah, I mean, so like with YouTube, I've mentioned this before, because YouTube has made similar moves um, to mimic TikTok, but in a way that, like you said, doesn't go against the agreement people, like why people signed on in the first place. Like I think what YouTube does with shorts that is good, that um, Instagram doesn't do with its reels is um, so... When, like, a good thing with, um, basically, I mean, the bigger thing is that, um, YouTube will not, does not appear to punish its users algorithmically for not, um, engaging with whatever latest tools come out with the way that Instagram does, where, like, Instagram wants to use <laughs> yeah. Reels, so they're going to make it so Reels are the only things that show up on anyone's feed. Um, and it's, like, either you can keep doing your own content and suddenly find that you're not showing up anymore, or you can, like, bow down and use Reels, whereas, like, YouTube, they didn't change anything. I mean, I, I still consume YouTube in a very like a- analog way where I go to my subscribe my subscription tab and I just see what the people I follow have posted in chronological order, which is like another thing that Instagram got rid of. Um, like a horizontal and,
0: format videos. yeah. Right, it's almost like right. an authoritarian versus a democratic government. I know, I know,
1: I know. And it's like, and when I click on that, I can see shorts that, um, like they, the shorts that any of the people I follow have made show up among the other videos they've made um, I personally don't click on it because I use, I think this also comes down to like how you, what screen you're watching this stuff on. I'm very much a laptop screen person for like most things, um, which I don't think is the majority. Of
0: yeah.
1: I found out recently that I was like in the minority on that everyone's on phones, but I think I just like, I, this makes me feel like a boomer i'm like this is how i was i was raised on a laptop screen <laughs> and so like that's but it's also it's work right like, right right and so i think it's just like it also helps there be a different like i can shut a laptop and move, move on my day and it like there's a sense of like boundaries a little bit which is good um but that does mean that like things like shorts it's like i can watch it on my laptop screen but like i know that's bizarre and <laughs> so i like don't i don't do that um so but but what's good is that like I'm not going to try and watch a YouTube video and getting bombarded with shorts instead, which is, you know, and, and so I just think it's, and also YouTube is really good at um, motivating people with money in a way that Instagram does not do. So like YouTube has, you know, they're one of the, I think one of the first platforms to really compensate um, its creators, like with the they like partner program and then AdSense and things like that. Um, and then with shorts, like Um, Snapchat did this a little bit too, although I think they like went really big and then had to pull back a little bit, but just in terms of like motivating people by paying them for trying the new product rather than punishing them for not trying the new product, which is what Instagram does. Um, and so YouTube is also, I found weirdly, even though they've done these moves to mimic TikTok, I've TikTok, I've found kind of, um, just talking to creators and people who consume that weirdly what has YouTube has had somewhat of a a resurgence because it's kind of like a, because it's long form content. And there is like, I think a limit to like how, how short someone, how much short form content someone can consume before like feeling nuts. Um, And, and I think, for creatives specifically, they've mentioned YouTube as being this place where they can move a little slower, put a little bit more thought into things, and the two kind of complement each other in a nice way. Um, and things like video essays that are like ninety minutes long, um, those are those get millions of views on YouTube, which like you wouldn't think with how everyone talks about short form video and and TikTok. Um, and so YouTube, I think, succeeded because it stuck to sort of exactly what it said it was gonna do from the beginning and just kind of held its ground a little bit and introduced new features, but still kept like, like, cause I, I think what makes, you know, what made Instagram great was it was the only platform for staying in touch with friends through photos. And then rather than holding firm to the staying in touch with friends through photos part, it, you know, tried to be TikTok and that's left people sort of frustrated. Um, and so YouTube I think has done really well and I think that's why. Um, Reddit is one, I'm a big lurker on Reddit. I'm not a, I have yet to have the courage and I don't know why it's so scary to me to like post anything. Um,
0: Why is that? That's that's such a weird.
1: (laughs) Because it's theoretically like way lower stakes. Like it's anonymous if I wanted to be like it, it. but I think um, But
0: the the culture that when in every sub, the culture feels so intense that just to dip your toe in is very intense. You know, you're such a new fish.
1: I will say something wrong. Right. Or yeah. And that like (laughs) people will dunk on or that I'll just like not have gotten the tone of the thing. Right. Cause I'm in, um, the big one that I'm I check religiously is the love Island UK subreddit. And I've like interviewed the, moderators and I am always there and everyone is so funny and I I'm so they're so funny and cool to me and I am way too intimidated to ever contribute anything because things also get really heated um but I mean something that was happening recently that was interesting obviously with Reddit were sort of the um protest blackouts that were happening in response to sort of the introduction of these tools that kind of um like especially specifically ones with like moderation um Like, Reddit is so interesting because people completely unpaid dedicate their time to, like, maintaining and um, curating and just running these communities. Um, And and it is, when we talk about, like, what's pure and original about the internet, like, it's really that. um, And Reddit has sort of introduced some, or they, they hiked up fees for programs that were really integral to keeping those communities running and, and tools that moderators were using to kind of rely on like filtering out comments that were harmful and and you know this all, all the sort of general maintenance that they had to do were made easier through these tools that they were now like making exorbitantly expensive to use um and so reddit and i think reddit will still like you know reddit certainly not going to like fall apart because of that um it is not so far no huge meaningful change in terms of like Acquiescing to moderators' demands, if I remember correctly, has really happened. It's just you're just gonna notice, I think there is some like an exodus of some moderators. Um, and I think the the thing that people will notice on a day-to-day level is maybe just the gradual decrease in like quality of some of the communities they're in. Um but um but I think Reddit has similarly remained because. it it is stuck true to what it is. And it's just a place people want to go to talk about either very broad or like very niche things. And just like talking to each other online is like how this all started. Um, (laughs) And, and that, you know, that, and that that's honestly when I was like, okay, I don't really want to scroll Twitter anymore because I don't like what it's becoming. Reddit is where I went to. um, And, 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 you know, it it does have a lot of the sort of same uh, content as Twitter, but just, uh I would I say sometimes a bit more thoughtful sometimes a bit more angry sometimes a bit crazy but um but I do find it's a good place if you want to especially from like a writing standpoint just like understand a community it's so easy to go to Reddit plus I can't believe it took me this long to get to how like it is the best for searching for like a problem looks like I was trying to explain this to my parents because they didn't understand why um you know when it came to like we were talking about sort of pets and vet stuff. They, they didn't understand why people would trust like a person on YouTube or whatever over just like calling a vet um, or like a doctor. And it was like, well, one, that costs money. <laughs> but two, um, like, I, when I, my cat's having an issue, I can Google the symptoms and get like a website with like all these things it could be, but that like I don't, I don't know if, and, and then they, they don't know who I am and I don't know who they are. And so they're like, it's very vague advice. Whereas if I Google the same exact thing that I'm dealing with with my cat and then read it, there's, there's threads and threads of people with the same problem talking like way more, like, you know, I can, I can trust it. Cause I can see like, their like human experiences with it, which are much more accessible to me. I can see pictures. I can see what it looks like. Um, and, and people, uh, throwing in a lot of advice and it, it's, it, it's much, it's a really great tool for, if you're dealing with something, finding, um, other people who have been through that exact situation and 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 seeing the discussion about it it's so helpful
0: (laughs) yeah and it and it 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 archives properly in a way that other social platforms just just kind of let it vanish Mm -hmm. so we've been talking a lot about at at the sort of macro level how how they're tracking and i'd like to just kind of zoom right the hell into like a singular experience which is where you kind of very Briefly and seemingly traumatically, became the kind of main character for a minute with the uh, with the millennial pause. Yeah. Which I'm sure you never tire of talking about, but can you just des- describe what happened and how it felt? Because it seemed completely insane yes. as I read it.
1: Yeah. So, the millennial pause was it, it's so. So I it's something that I didn't coin it. A creator named Nisa, who's really great on TikTok, made a video in, um, like two years ago, um, maybe, uh, that kind of commenting on, because Taylor Swift had just joined TikTok and Taylor Swift made a video and there was a little pause before she spoke and, um, Nisa stitched it and was like, it's so funny to me that even Taylor Swift is not immune to the millennial pause before you start speaking type thing. And I thought that was so interesting. And I just kind of like wrote it down and nothing really happened with it for a while. And then I first wrote about it a few months later, just for embedded. I was like, it was one of those days where I have like such a notes app of things that I could write about. And there was, I was looking through and I was like, oh, I'll write about this millennial pause thing. And that's not the thing that went viral. I wrote about it. And then I was also bringing it The Atlantic at the time. And an editor saw it and was like, would you want to turn that into kind of a larger piece about millennials on the internet? But, you know, the hook was the millennial pause. And I had no, to this day, I cannot tell you why it what happened because i was like I, I was like oh i like i don't i just was like oh I, I remember thinking like oh i hope my first story does well and i was but i like, was like i don't know if it will and it came out and i don't even think i noticed necessarily the first thing that was happening but i made a tiktok just kind of running through the points of it um posted it and i made tiktoks before and they did like fine but I remember like after like 10 minutes or so, I checked, I was like, oh, I wonder how it's doing. And it was at like 10,000 views already. And like really, and I was like, oh, there's something different is happening. Like, you get t- it's so, the algorithm really does, like you, I could tell it got, it got had gotten punted onto some trajectory that I'd never experienced before. And I was seeing all the comments come It, I, it was so well, but honestly, I was like, okay, this is overwhelming. Um, I'm glad it's resonating. Uh, I'm going to, you know, step back. And I really didn't look at my notifications for a while. And then I got like the worst DM you can ever receive from someone, which is, hey, I hope you're hanging in there. I'm sorry, everyone's being oh, crazy. No. And I was like, what? And opened up TikTok again. And um, like I used TikTok, but I just, you know, my notifications were like a constant, like 99 plus, like, and so I would just click. So the thing went away and then go out. I was like, I'm not against anymore. It's not productive. And then I was like, oh, I should look closer <laughs> at what's happening. And, um, I mean, at that point, I mean, the discourse in the comments was wild. I had some, so many people like stitching the video. I couldn't, I did not watch really any of the stitches because I don't know why that hearing, I can deal with a mean comment, but seeing a face, be mean about me. I was like, I can't handle this. This, this is my own millennialness. I was like, I can't do it. Um, but I did see some, and like a big one was um, a TikTok creator named Rod, whose whole thing is like millennial stuff. His video was fine, but it it was a normal reaction. But he leaned a little bit. Basically, millennials took this very personally, and I'm a yeah. millennial. And in a way that I did not anticipate because it literally doesn't matter. Um, and uh, like, I thought it was like a funny thing. And I was sh- genuinely shocked by how many millennials felt like that were accusing me of hurting their feelings <laughs> in a way. Like genuinely were like upset and and like I was accused of bullying and ageism, which is also like, this is a whole other thing. It's like, I didn't say any of this to you. I reported that other people are saying this, but TikTok has a real way of like collapsing all that and they just see a face a person saying something and they're like you did this because that's the biggest thing that'll happen anytime i post anything i'll be like I, I do trend reporting and then the comments are like well why are you doing this and it's like i'm not doing anything um i'm i'm telling you other people are doing it and that really was this case like i i did not coin it i was like oh here's what people are saying about millennials haha ha. and then it kind of went nuts and there were some really great discussions about um about millennialisms in general and where they came from and how race played a role in it like this isn't it to say everyone who didn't think I was amazing was stupid like that's not true at all but um <laughs> but the the, the the stuff that I will confidently say was stupid was anyone deciding to like take it personally and and uh and I don't know act like you know it, it just I I think it's like I don't think it's an, the millennial pause is an insult. I edit mine out because I'm now so aware of them, but um, I I kind of just found it fascinating as like a anthropological marker of internet use. It was like, yeah, like that's what we were, like the same way I have to use a laptop to watch the things, even though that's not what anyone else is doing. That is like a marker of like how I was raised on the internet and like some people were pointing out they think the pause came from using Snapchat because Snapchat would do like a second delay before it would start recording. Um, so that might be it. But I thought that was so in- I just think it's interesting. I don't think it means someone's like, should just get in a coffin. I just think it means that like, oh, you were raised on a version of the internet that is different than how people are being raised on now. And this is the most heated I've ever gotten in response to millennial pause, sort of more publicly. So that's because I try to be very like measured, but it's been like a year now and I'll still get comments that are like so rude. And it's just like, I'm gonna, I moved on from this, like i the like it, it's so it's so wild to me
0: oh unfortunately it's gonna be like a power in your own bit like this is differently... oh I know
1: they, it has a I mean I am like you know as much as I endured like some really wild reactions that I don't understand like it's so crazy the reach that it's gotten like it has a Wikipedia page which is wild um Ryan Reynolds Said it in a Super Bowl commercial. It was not on like screen, but the whole like on like an Instagram. I don't know what it even means, but an Instagram Super Bowl commercial type of thing. Um, so that, that's and, like, I'll just them. see, I know, and I'll see like, you know, a video that someone posts and someone will I'll look at the comments, not even looking for it. And someone will be like, oh, you did a millennial pause. And the person will be like, ah. And it's like, <laughs> it is like it overall, it is very cool to have been part of
0: an internet moment like a proper one yeah
1: like and to be like oh my god like this is like something people know and like they know it not even they wouldn't even know like that i did it it because it's become so embedded like that's very cool but um it did make using tiktok and instagram it it poured over on instagram um uh and i have left all the rude comments up because i want people to have to (laughs)
0: live with (laughs) them
1: live with what they did. Of like, you got mad about this (laughs) and I left them up for that reason. Um, But, you know, overall it's been great, but it it was wild because I think I just hadn't, it was truly just something that I never anticipated would even get traction, let alone make people upset. But I also think I have a skewed interpretation of, I will remember the millennial pause as like a backlash moment. And then when I say it to other people they're like what are you talking about like it, it, it because i'm on the receiving end you remember negative comments way more than positive ones i'm like oh yeah people got so mad at me but actually if you do click on the video the offending tiktok it does take a little bit of scrolling before you actually get to anyone being upset
0: <laughs> so the the millennial pause and the kind of scale of the response kind of nicely mm-hmm. segues into this idea that you write about a, of, of opinion fatigue mm-hmm. and and you've also kind of assessed and interviewed people who've talked about the way that that sort of intensely antagonistic style of twitter discourse kind of has just well has kind of radiated out and 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 feels quite present on on all platforms do you, do you mm-hmm. feel like there is a kind of that the opinion fatigue thing is real or that we are moving through and past that period of just like just constant supervision and and critique almost as like a sport Mm -hmm. or are we still sort of there
1: culturally? I mean, I, I still, I, and I, I, I think, you know, I still am very careful about what I post on TikTok because of the millennial pods experience, because I'm just like weighing, how much do I want to repeat that again? Because it's not fun. Um, other people have not had the same type of, um, you know, the same experience, but, um, what, so in ter- you know, I think there are people, it really depends on the individual person. Cause I think there are people like I was cognizant when millennial pause was happening, that if I wanted to, I could really harness that moment and take it somewhere. I could have made another video and I, I could, I could have built off it in a way that I was not comfortable doing because I didn't like how the attention was making me feel, but there are people who do like how it makes them feel and are able to sort of take that moment and take the backlash and they, they are inspired to do some, do more with it. Um, and so, and that will, you know, that's not going to go away. Like everyone is not just going to wholesale stop talking just because some people, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, I think there are people who have reached their limit and that's interesting, but I don't think that means everyone's going to stop sharing. What I do think is actually changing is people's general exhaustion with I, I found that recent sort of, I wish there was a better word than cancellations, but recent discourses, dust-ups, anything like that have had less staying power. Um, I think because there is an exhaustion of like, we can't just keep doing this over and over again. Um, or, um, you know, there's just too much out there. Uh, and, um,
0: the standard is too kind of high or so there's something right. you, you interviewed a creator like earlier this year, I think who, she was like mm-hmm. just a kid from Canada or something who spoke really kind mm-hmm. of in, interest, like had just a, like a great kind of perspective on it that I thought really kind of, it, it just, it felt like she was articulating something that I'd been sort of feeling for a long time.
1: Yeah. I think you're talking about Michelle who, cause she had made a video, um, that kind of inspired what were like the beginnings of this opinion fatigue piece where she was talking about the specific um, tendency on TikTok that, that she called whataboutism, which is like you post, you know, something, the example I use in the opinion fatigue piece is like if they're posting a recipe and it has cheese in it and someone comments, well, what about vegans? And it's like, well, the answer about that is is then this is not a recipe for vegans. But there's <laughs> like this um, expectation, I think because we are... Uh, in such a like, algorithmic, uh, we're, we're so accustomed to content being served to us when it's like not for us, we get like mad. And instead of getting mad at the algorithm, we get mad at the creator who actually had no part in putting it on our feed. Um, and so there's, she, so she was kind of talking about that and I do think it um, resonated with a lot of people who have similarly run into attempting to say or speak about something that is only applicable to certain people and the response of people it is not applicable to, rather than just scrolling past it, they kind of feel the need to be like, well, this isn't true for me. And it's just like a lot of things aren't true for everyone. (laughs) And I think it's less a symptom of people being like more annoying than they used to be or more sensitive, but I think it's just more, um, there's so many of us in the same place. And so we've never really had all these different experiences kind of clashing together before. and the, the larger audience you have, the more you're gonna say something that certain people are not gonna resonate with or agree with or identify with. Um, Cause it's it's gonna be, it's impossible to create universally for an audience of everyone, which is kind of what TikTok is. Um, and so it's less of, I think, anyone has changed, but more we're facing, we're feeling the consequences of just putting everyone in a room and then trying to like create some kind of order and it's just it, we're never all going to agree on one thing that's like kind of the point of society
0: <laughs> <laughs> um hey that's that that's a super <laughs> great place to end it and um I, i've enjoyed <laughs> this so much i'm just so obsessed with the newsletter i think it's like the best oh thank you the best thing on the internet and um yeah just just really appreciate you making the time
1: no, thank you so much for having me.
0: That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to Omedia for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e, tewi. Kia ora Butler Podcast manager at the Spin Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our Mahi by signing up to become a Spin Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash Donate. The Spin Off Podcast Network.